0: Welcome to CEO Insights, a podcast on influence and negotiation in which CEOs of international companies come to share their approach and experience of negotiation and influence. I'm your host, Ludovic Tendron. I'm a business and strategic partnership developer, lawyer, expert negotiator, and the author of the master key, Unlock Your Influence and Succeed in Negotiation. I have the pleasure to welcome today Marine Tanguy a groundbreaking maverick in the art industry. Marine is the founder and CEO of Empty Art Agency in the 30 and the 30 Forbes list of the brightest young entrepreneurs in the art business. She was also a muse for Chloe Luxury Fashion House. Hi, Marine. A great pleasure to have you with us today from uh, Ile de Ré. How are you today?
1: Yes, very well. Lovely to be here.
0: Great. Um, You are the founder of Empty Art Agency. A successful agency supporting, promoting, and investing in talented visual artists. I love your business model. Uh, I think it's very smart. Can you tell us more about it?
1: Yes, so I've been in the art world for a good 13 years now. Um, I was the young Gary director of Steve Lazarides who discovered Bank CNJR when I was 21. And then I was approached by an investor who had an advertising agency in Los Angeles when I was still running the Gary in London um to open own gallery um on a 50-50 basis. So he will be the investor and I will be building the business basically. Um, and this is very much where I um met the person that kind of changed the way I was looking at building a business in the sector, which um who was Michael Levitz who uh, built CA, which is one of the largest talent agencies in the world, especially in the music, film and sports space. Um, And I was kind of really inspired on on how he kind of built such a large business, how he built the reputation of his talents and and how he kind of reimagined the way in in which his talents could inspire people at a very large scale and people could buy into this. Um, And I felt that instead, the gallery felt like um, a very archaic luxury shop division and less the... um, yeah, less less a powerful machine it could become if it was more of a CA model. So um, I therefore split with my first partner um, in business, Steph Sebag, and then came back um, to London to um, to build an empty art agency, which subsequently became the first hands agency in the art world. So we are now London, Paris, and Monaco in terms of offices um there's two more offices coming up in the next year um middle east and states um, in terms of what we do is we spot talents and hopefully the best ones in the sector we're definitely more and more climbing the ladders um in terms of the very established ones So over the coming three months um i can't yet reveal who but there's a couple of artists who are within the top 20 um in the world who are living at top garry's to join us so we We slowly climbed our way to really hopefully be with the best, um, which was always the ambition. And then in terms of the creative agency, very much like a CA or any other talent agency, we would advise um, all the top brands, public bodies, um, digital companies on how to integrate art into all these contexts which becomes ultimately our expertise. Now, of course, the CA will do it with actresses and studios, and we will do it with, therefore, art as a vehicle. Um, And for that matter, my senior team is very much built um, with entrepreneurs who've all run agencies in the past, and this is the reason we were able to kind of build the two separate departments. So it's really fun. There's very much integration of the arts everywhere, which is very fulfilling because it means... We're inspiring very large audiences, but also um, spotting people who are incredibly inspiring.
0: Right. So, what role plays negotiation in your business?
1: I think. I mean, everything is negotiation, especially in especially in a sector that is non regulated, where ultimately the value um, the value that I'm bringing in is people based, and that is whether you bring on the top employee whether you bring on the top investors, whether you bring up a top client or talent. Um, So negotiation is always at the core of it. Um, But I think even beyond that, it's it's very much convincing the top people to be joining any projects or anything that we're building.
0: Yeah, because you have to negotiate with artists, you have to negotiate with brands, you have to negotiate possibly with your staff, I would imagine you have to negotiate at all levels all the time.
1: Yeah, I did. um, You know, I, it's funny, like I am, and we spoke a little bit about it before, but um, I'm really objective and, and project focused. I built a North Pole and then I try and think how, how many people can we put behind that and and how can we make this amazing thing happen? Um, So I've never really, you know, I'm definitely not um, feeling like an 80s movie about it. I just, I get very excited about reaching objectives and, making amazing things happen. So um, it's more really onboarding people than it is the idea of constantly negotiating. It's more really convincing them that this is the right thing to onboard, Does that make sense, Um, which is part of it in negotiation for sure.
0: So how have you developed and refined your negotiation skills over the years?
1: Um, I I think it's, again, I think I just probably don't think of it as... um, Pure negotiation. I, I think I have refined, hopefully, a good emotional and social intelligence because I manage people day in day out, um, and I love people. Like I obviously do a job that's backing them. So um, you know, I think, and I have also been lucky to be in a life where when I'm so when I'm in my I was 23, so and I was positioned with someone who uh, was a billionaire, was very influential. But I I I think I had a good sense on. Um, on how to convince and and get respect from those people. Um, so I didn't even think of negotiation. I think it's more that I I really care about making sure that everyone respects what we're trying to build and I can onboard the most amazing brains as as we do that. So it's more of a social intelligence or emotional intelligence. And of course, you just keep on developing it um, with experience and time. And I think you also now, we're making this, all those decisions like being a few of us. Um, and, and a lot of my team have 20 or 30 years experience in doing that brilliantly. So I'm also just no more on my own trying to work out a situation um, or an outcome. I'm very much brainstorming the best way possible to get to this outcome.
0: I would imagine you also learn from, like everyone else, from, from some mistakes at a very early age, um, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm.
1: I'm lucky that the mistakes were never the most expensive ones. I think. I think in a weird way. Um, yeah, I think in a weird way. I don't know where that comes from, but the mistakes I made were never with the top people, the people who could change the course of the of the my career or or the business. I think. Um, otherwise, yes, you always make mistakes. There's always better ways to do it with people. I think there's always enormous room for improvement. But I'm lucky that my people mistakes were not expensive. They were usually, there were usually things I could improve on. But they were not things that could collapse me or could change totally the way the business could be structured.
0: Great. Right. So art can be quite subject, subjective and, and emotional. We people call it an emotional asset. Um, does it affect your negotiation in any way? Or you know when you negotiate with an artist or you negotiate over a masterpiece or something like this. Um, does it affect your negotiation? The fact that it's emotional, uh, it's emotional, it could be also subjective or is it just a normal negotiation for you?
1: Um, so I don't, I you know, I think it's, um, I don't really think in terms of art or not art. I think um, it's really just about, I, I do believe we are representing people who are incredible and I do believe the, in the quality of the project. So, You know, when I see my friends who are either VCs or backing, I don't know, ex-companies, we will be speaking the same way. We just generally believe in in what we're backing. Um, So I think it's, it's less pitching an asset, whether it's emotional or not emotional. When my friends who are VC invest in companies, they will pitch it emotionally because they think the funders or the team are incredible, you know, they, they think that company can change or disrupt the sector that they're in. So I will be speaking in very similar terms in terms of our talents. Um, so now for sure, there's, there's a degree of subjectivity um, because there's a degree of belief into the experience you have in spotting those people and in making sure that they get there. Um, but I don't think there's any difference um, of emotion if you invest in a company or if you hold shares from it, you will be behaving in the same position. You you're basically taking a bet on something to be very big um, and basing it on your exper- experience and expertise of the market that you're reviewing. Basically, I
0: understand. Do, do you think that women have different skill set skill set sorry than than, than men when it comes, you know, to influencing others, persuading others? Do you think it's uh The approach is different when you're a woman or the skill set. Yeah, we
1: we spoke um we spoke about obviously before the session. I think um I'm very lucky that I was always mentored 50-50 by men and women. So I've never I've never felt gendered within within the practice I was in. Um I think obviously you know, I'm I'm definitely a woman, I'm definitely um, um I have no issue with my gender whatsoever. But when it comes to to the the business world. I've never felt I was treated as a woman or as a man. I think especially who was mentoring me or investing in me. Like we have Saul Klein, who is one of the top investors in Europe, um, or Helen, who is the same and same with Frederick as well. And they, I've never felt I was addressed as a woman or a man. I always felt I was addressed as an entrepreneur. Were, and I was more felt, I was addressed as an entrepreneur who was either building a small thing or a bigger thing or there were different stages of a company every time. So I, I personally never felt gendered. I think though that um, was really nice is one of the fastest growing demographic of higher networks in my sector are women because, um, because they were long, um, usually not really looked at by a lot of the competitors. So actually economically, the reason the Caring Group or some of the brands of LVMH work with us is because the audiences of high networks we can um, uh, we have and hold are much more diverse um, than a lot of my competitors, which is a huge advantage. Now, I think that's more because I represented a woman and I was a female founder, but at no point did I behave differently to my male counterparts in any of these positions. And, and I was lucky that... Um, I was clearly cocooned within a world where Michael has addressed me as as a funder and he challenged me in the same way that he would with a male funder um, and expected me to respond in the same way as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've never really felt the difference uh, for my part personally.
0: I understand that there's a number of people who think that women face greater challenges in business and in negotiation, due to stereotypes, social pressure, etc., um, I understand that you have experienced this. Uh, do you do, do you think this is something uh, real in a business world, um, or this is something? Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, the numbers. So that's different. I think the first question you asked was more are we different? And the answer for me is like, I, I'm not. Like, you know, I'm just as festive as any of my male funders' counterparts and, and the female funders I know are exactly the same. We just did a partnership with Whitney from Bumble um in FIAC two weeks ago. I just don't see the difference between working with a man and a woman. Now, is society constructed to allow female funders to achieve as much? The answer is no, but that's society construct. It's not... um It's not um, a difference in hate into the human beings. It's more the fact that for sure society has long been a place where it was harder to build a business if you you were a woman. Um, But it was not because a woman was different. It was because of society in the same way that is, you know, a black or white person will be no different in business, but it's way harder to be building a business if you're black because the society is still putting loads of barriers in a way that it wouldn't for a white person. That's the same. Now, I'm sure, and I hope, um, the someone who is Black will say, I don't see a difference as a funder between me and them um, in the way that they behave, or in the way they have ambition, in the way they have drive, and in the way that they're building a company. Um, that's sadly still a society construct. It's changing. As I said, it's turning to an advantage for us because the fact that we are B Corp and we were always much more diverse means that the audiences that we've built for the sectors and the demographics that we have, while we have all the established collectors, we also have new diverse audiences. And that's definitely becoming a huge competitive advantage um, for our public art projects and for the sales that we're making for the artists and for all the brand partnerships. So it has become a positive um, uh, as we speak because I think um, people are looking at it in a very different lens now.
0: I see. So you're surrounded by creativity. You're a creative person yourself, obviously. Does it help you to be uh, to negotiate, to be creative? Um, would you have an example, for instance, uh, uh, using the the, the the word negotiating, uh, but it's also influencing people or, or trying to find solution? Does it help you to be creative and 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 basically be in that environment?
1: Um. I mean, obviously, I enormously believe in the value that visuals, um, even further than creativity, visuals can bring um, to an individual. I think it's um, uh, there's so much you learn visually that you don't even learn through words. It's it's such a powerful communication. And they say that 82% of our communication is actually more visual than it is verbal. So I I so believe in the power of visuals, for sure. I think the... Um, I'm someone that visualizes things. Um, and that's the way I am. I am as an entrepreneur. I visualize where I want to be and where I want the company to be before I built an execution behind it. Um, so I, I'm sure that the fact that I've always felt it was really easy to visualize something enormously helped me because I could just visualize things that were not there or situations that never existed or projects that never existed or a business model that never existed, I didn't find that um, challenging to invent something um, and and to visualize and to go and, and achieve it. I think, it's, um, I think it's, it's, um, you see it more and more with the large funds like a Sequoia where they will have a design and creative labs for all the companies they invest in to kind of learn from that. Um, and I think people are definitely talking more at length on the power of that visualizations uh, that I mentioned. Um, which I think is super powerful because I can definitely get a, I can get a team or I can get investors on board by just visualizing something. I'm and my brain finds it quite easy to onboard people on that basis.
0: Have you ever been in a deadlock situation in terms of negotiation, and then you use your creativity to solve that problem?
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because I think maybe it's a thing of the world, but. Um, I see everything very organically and I see, um, everything as, um, yeah, I don't see anything as with an end. I don't see an end. I never see full stops. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't recall, um, a dead point because for me that would be more a place where I will be rethinking of a new way to approach it than it is a dead point. Um, and now with people, you know, it's, it's beyond negotiation. they that just, it's not the right timing for them. Um, it's not, um, they're not in the right headspace. Um, they It's not quite the right moment to approach them for that matter. So I just more think in terms of context and in terms of the person, and I think, can I get my negotiation now? And I think it's, um, it served me well that the recent entrepreneur we onboarded to lead our Paris office, Ines, um, had just handled the governance of the the company she just built before us. Um, And I happened to be reaching out literally just after um, she had done that. And that's a very similar story to a lot of the top artists we signed. We happened to be reaching out also when they were reconsidering a new way to do things. Same with clients the Same um, with investors as well. Like I think timing and context and knowledge of the person is so key. So it's less about forcing something that is, you know, right or wrong. It's more um, making sure it's it's um, it's right for the person at the time that you're suggesting
0: it. Are there any books um, that you consider as um, um, key um, to your self development? Uh, are there any? Do you have any favorite nonfiction books that I help you to develop, or, or you could recommend? Um... Um,
1: I think the uh, the truth is that I'm very much a literature and philosophy student more than I am um, a business student. So the deepest reflection I had are much more from classics than they will be from um, a business book. Um, I would never pick up a book that says how to do this because my brain just doesn't function that way. The way I would think about ideas that are really interesting is usually because I'm reading something that has nothing to do with it and then I'm seeing a character through whatever book I'm reading that is um, unveiling something philosophically or conceptually that I found really interesting and then this is how I link it to something else I'm thinking about. So I don't think in terms of lists or in terms of how I just, I'm trying to get to the bottom of the right ideas. And then by the second I'm convinced of the idea, I bring it back on board into what I'm building. So I think philosophy books and uh, classics are much more the influence for that matter, uh, because this is where um, the reflection is, is going in so much depth that you, you can really reach a really good quality of ideas and then kind of bring it back Um I think Ayn Rand Atlas shrugged. My son is called Atlas, so um, it's definitely a book that for boss, uh, my partner and I, he was also very into that book when I met him. I think just purely for the, I mean, she immigrated from this from the from Russia when she in the sixties and then um, started writing in the states. And the fact that you have a very social understanding of the world meeting a very liberal understanding of the world, I think is a very interesting reflection for any entrepreneurs, because in a way you're trying to onboard people and do the right thing socially at the same time as having a very unique single vision. Um, And I also being a B Corp, I think it's, um, uh, is something that I care enormously about is how do you make sure that Everyone is supported socially, but equally, you want to attain objectives that are very ambitious. I think that book, which is 1,200 pages, I would recommend it by saying, of course, take a break as you read it, but was really influential because she was very uh, daring enough to be rethinking um, entirely the way people were doing things. And I think she was in that unique position that in the 60s, very few people would have been so immersed into the communist thinking, and then come out on the liberal side, um, which made a really interesting uh, reflection on that. And I think I'm sure I informed after this the B-Corp thinking to some extent. Um after this, I'm a huge fan of Sartre, and I do um um I've always followed um the idea that actions define people. Um I've become much um kinder on the ages of this, um, i.e. Um, there's definitely a context that matters. I think Sartre was quite harsh about not valuing sometimes the context people would have through their actions. Um, But I do judge upon upon actions and I do make decisions upon a series of actions. Um, And so I'm very much like a Sartre thinker and I think another two ones that had a huge influence on the French side um, are Simone de Beauvoir and Gisèle Halimi for the The drive that they had in very um unwelcoming environments to change things, which i think it's um it's also very inspiring to kind of see that um in the same way Sartre was very harsh on the action they're also very action driven but they are deep thinkers who are very action driven which was both really inspiring in terms of their their profile so i think that's the one that inspired my thinking um uh but yeah definitely not how to books
0: yeah more novel and philosophical books than non-fiction books um, that uh, many people are reading uh, to become a better entrepreneur or to become rich that's very often what we see yeah. in else, right um, yeah, what is your um, best memory as a negotiator um, is there a deal that you remember that will uh, always stay in your mind and all you are proud of or is a deal you've learned a lesson from is there something that stick uh in your mind
1: so i can i have so many memories of deals i'm really happy with i think it's um it's funny i never think it's done to me or not as a negotiator i just feel incredibly grateful that i was in the room when it comes to those deals and that we were able to make it happen um i think i'm super proud that our artist say when we signed him said within six months i want to launch um, a public art project from the Eiffel Tower with the Sean Mars and the Mayor of Paris, and uh, and you have six months for the raising of the funds, the media partnership, and the implement- implementation of it, and and we did that. And and I, I mean, going back to start, I'm big on commitments, and I think if someone commits, I I I would never commit unless. Um, I feel I can deliver, and I was really stressed about that delivery because I wanted to sign him. I did believe he would become enormous, which he has since as an artist. But I was I was definitely anxious on on the timing and and the delivery side. So we we were able to make all of this happen, which I was delighted. Um, I think the pandemic has has been a great example of how the company is. I think really leading is we tripled revenue by just reinventing the, the value that art can bring within the public art realm was in brand collaborations and had people online. I mean, our community online was incredibly tight um, and we were able to kind of generate also that, that community spirit. So again, I think we know we were negotiating in a, in a, in a time that was very difficult to obtain anything from it. And, um, and I feel incredibly lucky. I think it's not even a case of putting me forward on whether it was a good negotiation or not. It's I was seeing a lot of my competitors going bust, and my company was thriving, which I will be forever incredibly grateful um, to be in that position. And I think the the value add of the company and how I have seen people been very inspired by by us in that period was also incredibly valuable. So I'm, I'm very proud of that in terms of, that's a series of deals because that's when we became the official suppliers of the Crown Estate or Westminster or a lot of the big groups as well in terms of the public art space. Um, I think I think it's less deal-making again, but we generally have the top people in my sector who do respect us and I'm proud of that. And whether it's irrelevant, whether they like us or not, there's a deep respect that goes with how we we've run as a company and and the ambition that we have um and that's something that beyond negotiation is something i really appreciate when going into a meeting that that respect is tangible and with people who are um incredibly impressive um and and that i have deep respect respect for therefore so it's, it's always such a nice feeling that you know I would I would I would feel that respect. Um, and and I know that therefore this will probably mean a lot of deals on um will be happening from the back of that. But beyond the deal making, it's an it's a really nice feeling because I do value all those brains and I do think they are incredible. So the fact that they value us it means a lot to us as well. Um so I think no, it's more, I mean, I have so many happy memories. I think you know, the answer is I'm very proud of what the team and the artists are doing. Um last week we were projecting a Marble Arch, which is a um symbolic uh, place in London. Um, and it was absolutely magical to see crowds and crowds and crowds standing and looking at the art of the artists. And then we flew to COP26, um, which was um um for the project we had done with Octopus and Olaf Eliasson and Robert Montgomery and Little Sun. So every day is is it's deals that we've made happen I think are incredibly valuable I think are incredibly difficult to make happen um on the um on all levels and yet we have seen happening so it's a, it's at I'm at the stage of my life where I'm just really really grateful for it
0: that's dumb. that's impressive what you've done and I know the stress it can generate especially when we talk about events and stuff um, I know a little bit about events, so uh, I know that uh, it's, uh, it can be very stressful, but it's amazing what you've achieved. Uh, what, what, what can, can you offer a piece of advice um, that will help entrepreneurs um, in negotiating, of course, um, but also um, with their business, uh, possibly women, um what piece of advice could you give, you know, to the people who will be listening and are uh, either entrepreneur or want to be entrepreneur? I
1: think then what I'm what I'm very lucky for is so when I built Empty Art, I had the age which was 25 where you just do not compromise. You just put on a piece of paper everything you would dream to see and then you hope for the best and strive for the best. But it's a very sweet age um, for that matter because compromising at times when you're defining a vision can actually be something that's um that can yeah that can actually compromise your vision that can that can reduce it or or that cannot make it as disruptive or as impactful as it could have been and and so I think it's not to say you have to start a business at twenty five it's to say that I have loved being a non compromising founder to start with before I was, I was a CEO and to be really true on all levels to what the vision was, even if that meant it was really hard or not done or criticized um it was very it was a very clear vision that I put on paper back then and that I stuck to and so I think it's um as hard as it is when you start therefore um is to try and have this intensity, but also this um, this clear vision as much as you can and ignore the rest. Because in a way, I listen to everyone right now because I'm a CEO, so I have to listen to everyone to make the right decisions. But I'm so glad that I listened to nobody um, as a founder because it meant that I designed something that nobody else did. Um, but then, of course, as you grow, then you have to listen. You have to almost change your personality to just make sure you hear everything and, and re- really integrate it. Um, so I think that phase of not listening to anyone was not only liberating, because it's a nice feeling, um, but it's also meant that um, the vision we have for the business has always been incredibly strong. And, um, and then we can be flexible around the execution, but we have a strong self sense of self, sense of identity, bosses of business, both as a company culture, both as, as, as employees and colleagues, same with the artists. Um, and that is done to being 25 and therefore not wanting to do anything that anybody else had done or listened too much to what everyone was trying to advise. Um, so less about the Asian, more just maybe block it a bit at the start. Of course, do listen long-term. But if you have something that you're super passionate about and you really would like to create or see, then it might be better that you just stick to exactly what that vision is um, at the very start, and then of course, by the second you can see it's working out, um, Do you listen a lot because that's where you need to grow it.
0: I would imagine that uh, in order not to, you had that vision right, um, but you had to be sure that you were going in the right direction. I guess you were one hundred percent how did you uh, how, how did you? Check that you were still on the right track. Were you testing a few, a lot of things to see if it were they were working? Um, you said that you were not listening to anyone, but were there still a few people that could have uh, um, um, an influence on you, and you were listening to their uh, eventually opinion?
1: I think you know I still had six years of experience in the sector, so in a sense, I I came with an understanding of who my clients were. Uh, what my sector was um so I'm not saying you know be super unlegible and go but I think by the time MTI was put together yes I did decide to not listen to anyone because um because the way my sector is structured most people will tell you the same thing because they're all very similar types of people so in a way I just closed that down to just really be concentrating on how do we create something that's very different for the sector and that generally adds value? And that was more a very existential or philosophical uh, thinking towards it. I wanted to really add value. I do think I was ever sure. I think it's always the thing I said to my team is, um, "I it's not an issue of whether or not I was sure. Like what's interesting is now I'm 100% confident that we will become the, the large CA for the sector. When I started it, I wasn't confident of that. But I needed um but I had a lot of um desire and hope and and a willingness to sacrifice a lot to see that happening. Was now I have so much I need to look after that I'm almost the opposite personality. I need to make sure that we can preserve and build on top of it. So but at the time um it's not an issue of people having influence or not. It's an issue that you know I there was um, there was a concept that I felt was valuable to the sector that I really wanted to see uh, exist. Um, whether or not I was sure this was the next business model, which turned out that it, it was, it was irrelevant to my mind. Um, I just felt the existence of that concept would generally be beneficial to the sector, and I wanted that to happen. So I was not sure as an entrepreneur, I was a business entrepreneur, but I was I was committed to making sure it will happen. and. Um, and I think that, in a way, what I hear now from a lot of people who've backed me really early is that they trusted that I will get it done for that matter. Because it, I wasn't interested in um, in saying whether or not it will happen in three or four years' time, whether the market was this or that. There was some degree of studying of it. But most importantly, I was committed to doing it. And And by that, I really meant I will be doing it. Um, and I I find this a lot in my top talents. It doesn't matter how hard it is. They have this just deep commitment of just getting it done. Um, and I think that's okay, therefore, at that point, to just not listen. There's no need to listen because the thing is, you just have to be head down and just deliver it. Um, and then you can listen once you understand the delivery that you've generated. Um, so those different people of influence. I think if they had seen me doing something terrible, um, or morally wrong or anything, I'm sure they would have raised their voices. But in the context of it, I think they all let me do exactly how I wanted um, so that I could understand and construct the vision that I had for it. Um, and they didn't step in. And my investors to this to this stage, um, we very much, like we're majority shareholding with my employees and I, but my investors have always been the same. They've always let to lead the vision. The numbers speak for themselves on a yearly basis but I've never had people who tried to tell us what to do. And it's always been really nice because in a way, back to my advice, by really stating we want to do this on our own terms, we actually attract people who got that um, and will let us um, lead on our own terms as well. So with, um, you know, the business is doing really well, the numbers are showing it, but I've never had an investor ever ringing me being like, I don't like this, I don't like that, I want you to change this. It just we're lucky to be in a community that really trusts us. and I think we've um, we've therefore established that trust at the start of the company by saying this is we're going to do this that way and that's it. If you want to come on board fantastic, if you don't then that's that's fine too. So I think it was it was not um, it was not a case of um, being reckless. it was a case of we were very clear on what we wanted to achieve.
0: That's interesting. very interesting. Actually, it's the, the, the mindset of an artist, basically. You don't tell an artist uh, what to do. Basically, you leave the artist, you know, um, have that vision and, and 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 basically paint or do a sculpture or whatever. Uh, that's that's basically the mindset you um, it, um That's what I understand. It means that you had a vision and you wanted to create something and then you don't stop an artist. You let an artist uh, expressing himself or herself and uh, and just come up with, uh, with a nice piece of art, right?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, again, from kind of being a lot in the VC world nowadays, like I think most funders are like this. Um, and I think smart investors um, understand that. I think Saul or Frederick, who say, they've both been incredibly successful entrepreneurs themselves. So they understand when it's time to just let the person do it and when it's time to actually... because. When I come to them for advice, and obviously they're delighted to refer it to me, but they also understand when is the right time to step in or not and and when it's the time to just be behind and and to let the person do it, which I think is a very smart way of investing. Um and I am the same as an investor now. When I see funders I like a companies I like, I just let the funder lead. Um unless the founder is specifically asking me for expertise that I would have that would be helpful, I just tend to just let people go. Because I think the right people would just, you know, the, even when they will make mistakes, they will learn so much from them and they will reconstruct the vision around them as well. So it's almost, if someone is that strongly um, driven, I think it's best to let them do their thing um, until they need more support, if that makes sense. It
0: makes sense. <laughs> So I have some speedrun questions for you. Uh, Like we say in French, a little portrait chinois, if that's okay. You have to choose uh, between two options. You have a right to elaborate and explain why you choose that thing. Um, But I would like um, to ask you these questions, if you don't mind. So modern art or classical art?
1: Both. I can't decide. They're so incredibly relevant to each other. They can't go without each other.
0: And today. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe you, you your <laughs> opinion will change tomorrow, but if you had to choose one, no, it's
1: impossible. <laughs> it's like if you were saying past, present, future. They they run alongside each other.
0: Fair enough. Uh, another difficult one. Paris or London? Oh, sorry? Paris or London?
1: London for me, totally. I think Paris is a really interesting time for Paris because there's um there's definitely a growing market and, and more approaches happening. And this is where we've built an office there and team there. Um, but I'm more of a Londoner because until London changes, if London changes again, then I will probably be less Londoner. But Londoner, as it stands, um, is an incredibly dynamic international city where a lot of the top brains still are. Of course, if that changes and if the, the top brains move to Paris, then I will move to Paris.
0: Say difficult one island life or city life
1: um city life for me too i mean i live literally behind oxford street and my office is three minutes walk from my house so i'm totally a city person um i love proximity and um and i love access i like the fact that i have access into everything including an airport if i want to escape it but i have hundreds of accesses um every five minutes and I, I think the issue that I have with um, the countryside side is the lack of access uh, it's beautiful it's obviously resourceful and I'm from there but I love access I love the fact that every day my life changes every five minutes on what's going to happen to it but it doesn't matter because the city can provide me with new ways to look at it or solve it because there's so many excesses, in a way that a place like the countryside would just never be able to solve it for me because it will restrict the ways I could respond to it.
0: I'm asking this question just for people that are listening because you come from an island in France called Île de Ré, so I just want, and you are in Île de Ré at the moment. Champagne. Yes, it's oh. Yeah, it's beautiful. Sorry. Champagne or Cocktail for Art Preview?
1: Um, I mean, basically, I definitely had a lot of both, I think is the answer. Um, I'm definitely a Blanc de Blanc, art person, champagne-wise, and they're also one of the partners of one of my artists, so I've been very lucky to be treated to them. I think that would be for an Art Preview because I like like the feeling of champagne for celebrating something, but I love a cocktail when it comes to... um, the storytelling of a cocktail bar or iconic place. I think that it would be a shame to go for champagne because you almost want the cocktail to represent that storytelling. Um, but champagne is such a fun celebration drink. Um, and I love celebrating things. So I just feel that it's a better celebration drink on that level.
0: I see. Flat or heels?
1: Um, I cycle quite a bit. So I think, frankly, flat makes my life much easier. Um, I've never lived in a very hilly place, so I have, I can't actually relate to one. Um, I, I, I knew that San Francisco was uh, quite hilly and I must say I could not cycle in that context. So it probably frustrates me on a daily basis because in London, I just go to from point A to point B so quickly on the bicycle that by the second it's hilly, I will have to commute or take the bus or the tube or the taxi, which will probably mean it'll be much harder as well.
0: Very, uh, right, because it, it rains a lot in London. They're not afraid of the of the rain. So you cycle under the rain. No, I mean,
1: yeah, I don't mind at all, but it's it's such a convenient, yeah, everything is so convenient. It, you literally just, it's a 10 minutes for me where I'm located is a 10-minute access to anything, um, which changes the way you appreciate the city.
0: Organised or improvised? or improvised? Um
1: I think I'm generally, because I'm a single founder, if I had a partner, I think I would have had to pick. Having been a single founder to start with, I really had to be both. Um, because, you know, you have to be constantly spontaneous, improvising, creative, proactive. But equally, if you don't stick to all the commitments and the to-dos you set yourself, you just cannot run. You cannot run it. So I think you develop it. I'm very much fifty-fifty. I'm someone that can complete and has an inbox zero, always had, um, on a daily basis. But equally, someone that is very comfortable being spontaneous or um, redesigning the day midway. Um, I have no stress about it. But I think it's you have to be both when you're not in a partnership with people, um, and that was my case.
0: I see. TV
1: shows or movies. I don't actually watch any of it. <laughs>
0: like,
1: I don't think I, I don't watch movies or TV shows. I watch like I probably watch a movie once every two years. Um, I I don't I'm not um, yeah I don't even have a TV in my home. Um, I love seeing people and I love music and I love reading and I read a lot a, very, a huge amount um, every day. But I yes I definitely don't have um. um I definitely don't, don't watch anything.
0: Interesting. If you were a masterpiece, what would it be?
1: Um, I think it was less if I was one and if I wanted to support one. I think the, the one I adore and love is Kurt, uh, The Wrath of the Medusa, because it's an incredibly strong political piece as well. Um but I don't need to be it. I just would love the, the work to be looked after and to last because historically it has so much importance. Um, I don't need to be a masterpiece.
0: Will you travel in the future or in the past? Um, past.
1: Because I want to acquire knowledge. Um, I'm comfortable in creating the future. And I think there's so much joy as well in coming up with what's next um it's a fun thing you go through all the thrills of of creating it um past because i think it's such an interesting thing and a and an knowledgeable thing to go to understand how you got here in the first place uh, but i think i'm comfortable with the future um it'll be a shame to kind of be revealed all the answers it's like reading the end of the book as you just started it it'll be quite sad i think um so definitely not future i don't think mm-hmm.
0: And then I have a very serious one. Pain au chocolat or croissant?
1: <laughs> I think both as well. Um, yeah, probably more croissant. but And then my son will have a strong opinion of that. Um, and I'll show your daughter too, so.
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you very much, Marine, for this interview and your insights. Um, I wish you the best of luck and I hope to have the pleasure of meeting you either in France or in England one day. Yeah, me too.
1: And thank you for the quality of the questions. Really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. All the best. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. There are more coming with different CEOs, with different backgrounds, stories. Stay tuned. You can follow us on www.ludovic.online. See you soon.